This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. How's everybody? Good. I mean, it's 9 a.m., right? The 9 a.m. service. It's snowing, and it's MLK weekend, right? And it's packed in here. How about that? Isn't that neat? Isn't that neat? So, hey, we're, we're right in the middle of a series uh, called Awaken. I just want to give you kind of a, a promo before we uh, take a step forward. Today, we kind of kick off 21 days of prayer. I mean, here's, here's the thing about, about praying. Oftentimes, prayer is our last resort. Now, how many of y'all know that? We seek advice. We go to counselors. And if any of that doesn't work, we'll fall back and pray, right? Right? But here's the thing. We, we like to start every year with a season of prayer because we believe that in life we need to learn to pray first, all right? To pray first. First, it's something that we functionally do. All right, we pray first as teams before we do ministry together. We pray before we have services. We pray first, but we start the year off with a season of prayer. Today, as you leave, you're going to get a prayer guide. It's one of these right here. It's going to guide you for the next three weeks in prayer. It's give you daily devotional. It's got places in there for you to journal, places for you to write down who you're praying for, a, a simple guide if, if you're not familiar in, in praying, uh, a simple guide on how to go about praying. Um, we'd love for you to join us as we pray for the next three weeks. We'd love for you to be a part of that because we believe that God answers prayers and God hears our prayers, and we want to be awakened to Him. As I was kind of getting ready for this message, I I kind of remembered that we're in a season where we find things that we didn't know we had lost. I'm sure every one of you experiences this each winter, right? Because we put on a jacket that we haven't worn for almost a year, and we reach in the pocket, and we find a $5 bill or a $20 bill. Have you all ever done that before? Have you ever thought to yourself, how did I lose a $20 bill? <laughs> That's absurd. I don't even know it was lost, but I just found it. And I think that today we're going to talk about a topic that really is one of those things that we've, many of us have lost, and we don't even know that we've lost it. Maybe one of the best illustrations I've, I've heard of this came out of a story that emerged out of, out of Iceland in 2012. In August, a, a group of, of older um, friends from, from Europe made a trip to Iceland to do some sightseeing. Iceland is a beautiful country. Uh, volcanoes, natural hot springs. I, I mean, just the landscape itself is enough to kind of give us a reason to go visit there. Not, uh, I mean, even bypassing a beautiful culture and wonderful people. All right, so this group was going throughout Iceland, and they stopped at a volcano late one afternoon to do a little sightseeing and to go around. And as they came back in, the tour guide and the bus driver did, did a count, and they realized somebody was missing. And they started doing a poll, and they figured out who it was. And as time crept past, they alerted the park guards, we have a missing lady. Uh, she's uh, in, in her late 50s. She's 
an Asian woman. She was wearing uh, a black pair of black pants and a, a dark gray sweatshirt, and we can't find her anywhere. Before long, the authorities were called in. The news media showed up. Right? Late, as, as it crept late into the evening when it was going to be cold, and if this woman had wandered off and became disoriented, that she likely would be in very much danger. Even the, the friends that were on this tour got involved with searching until they realized that the woman that they were searching for was there all along. <laughs> the news media immediately got her and said, when they gave the description, didn't you realize that they were talking about you? And she said, I had no idea I was lost. <laughs> I think sometimes well, we're right there. Like we're lost and we don't even know that we are. And so what I want to do is I want to take you back to a very familiar story. And I want to show you how we sleepwalk away from God. How we sleepwalk away from God. The story is found in Luke 15. It's uh, oftentimes referred to as the story of the prodigal son. I, I think it's a lot less about the sons and a lot more about the father. But today we're going to zero in on the youngest son, okay? Because he's, uh, in, in all of the, the teaching that Jesus does, this is probably one of the easiest ways for us to identify the ways that we sleepwalk away from God. Before we get started with the story, I, I want to give you just one thing to help you understand the story a little bit better. Here's the first thing. We, we really don't fully understand our choices in life. Okay? We don't. And I want you to see that in the context of this story this morning. Oftentimes, we view our decisions, the things that we decide to do, in a matrix of good and bad. You know what I'm talking about? You're with me, right? Especially if you raise kids, right? <laughs> that is a bad decision. Don't do that. Don't stand on top of the table and throw knives. That is a bad decision. In reality, our decisions don't exist in a matrix of good and bad. They exist in a matrix of God and death. Either we choose to follow God, or our rebellion against the life that God wants to give us leads to death. It is not about good or bad. It is about whether in all things, relationships, finances, and our relationship with our Creator, we will choose God or we will reject Him and our rejection will only lead to death. So let's go into the prodigal son. I want you to see that story with that in the backdrop. Let's begin. Luke 15, verse 12. The younger son now told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Just to press pause and remind you, this is an extremely offensive thing that he's doing. It's in, in turn, in essence, saying to the dad, you might as well be dead. My relationship with you has no value. I would rather you just go ahead and give me what you owe me when you're going to die, and I'm going to check out of here. So his father agreed. To divide his wealth between his sons. Now, this was not as simple as it would be for us today. Now, now many of uh, inheritance today exists 
in, in the form of, of liquid cash money. In those days, they didn't have bank accounts. This would have been a huge undertaking. They would have had to sell off cattle and land to create the, the currency to represent his share of the estate. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons, and the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land where he, look at this, he wasted all his money in wild living. He wasted all of his money in wild living. I want you to see this. This is the second thing in your notes today, that what first seems attractive will turn out to be a waste. What first seems to be attractive will turn out to be a waste. You see, people don't get caught up in sin because they see the end of the story. All right? If you've ever sat with an, with an addict at the end of his story, you know it is a broken and devastating story. People get caught up in the story and, and the sin that leads into that because at first it seems attractive. At first it looks inviting. And that's exactly how it was to the young son. He looked out and said, this world has so many possibilities. There is so much more to do than what I'm doing right now. I'm wasting my life by staying here with my father. So I'm going to go out and I'm going to take the resources that he's owed me and I'm going to use it to fully live, right? And what does he find out? He wastes it. He wastes it. So let's continue. Luke 15, beginning in verse 14. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and a man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Now, as Jesus was telling this story, all right, Jesus is talking to largely a Jewish audience. And as they hear this, they're thinking, it can't get any worse. He can't, now he's, he's starving, he's out of money, he's away from his father, and now the only job he can get is feeding pigs, which is unclean, all right? This is an unclean, an animal that they would not eat and not touch, all right? The young man, became, look how bad it gets. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. He was so hungry that he desired to eat the slop that he was feeding the pigs. And nobody, seeing his weakness, after he had spent money with these folks, lived wildly with them, nobody, seeing him in his weakness, ever came to his rescue. I, I want you to get something today that is vastly important for us to understand, is that rejecting God's life will break yours. Rejecting the life that God wants to give you and live through you, rejecting that life will break yours. Here, I want you to see why that happens. Okay, the more that we reject God's life, the life that God wants to live through us, the more that we say no to God, no to God, the harder that our hearts become to God. And how many of y'all realize this? You can't break something that's soft. 
You can't break. The more that we say yes to God, the more that our hearts remain soft and pliable to him. He's the one molding it. But the more that we say no, the harder we become to him. And when we reject God's life, we will break ours. The story of the the prodigal son, this young son who rejects his father and leaves, reminds me of one of the the scariest statements I've ever seen about sin. We're going to put it on the, if you're kind of a note taker or a person who likes to post stuff on Facebook, this is the Facebook quote, right? All right, read this with me. Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. Keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it will cost you more than you wanted to pay. Sin will take you farther than you wanted to go. Keep you longer than you wanted to stay. And it will cost you more than you wanted to pay. I mean, here in this story, we see that. As Jesus is teaching us through that parable, this young son is caught up in a way of living that drags him away from the Father. It removes him from the presence of the one who had been sustaining his life. And it leaves him broken and desperate. Now what I want to do is just real quickly go back and review the first two weeks of this series. We started a couple weeks praying, God, would you just wake us up to the life that you want to live through us? In the first week that we did, we looked at this reality, that God wants to awaken a childlike wonder that will allow us to see our lives through faith. Through wonder, God would awaken faith and allow us to see a life that's not even present right now. And last week we looked at this, that God wants to awaken us to the joy of his presence in good and difficult times, that there are things that God wants to, as a byproduct of our relationship with him, produce in our lives. One of those is joy. So here's, here's the thing. Faith is seeing God's life. Fruit is is living out God's life. So my question to you is how do we get started on all of that? How do we get started actually living that out, experiencing faith and being able to see God's plan, being able to sense what God wants from us? How do we then step into the reality of living out what God's called us to do? I think we find it in that next moment that the son experiences. In Luke 15, verse 17, he says, as Jesus is telling the story, he says this, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, this is the son, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. So I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven And you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. So please take me in as your servant. There's a couple things I want you to see about the way that sleepwalking, rejecting God's life and walking through life in in a way that is not filled with life. We call that sleepwalking a few weeks ago. The first thing that I want you to see is that the Father has never left us. 
The Father has never left us. We left him. God never left us. God never left you alone. He's never abandoned you. God has always desired a relationship with you. But we, in our rebellion and rejection of God's life, we have left him. You know, I think you see this truth there in in this moment that the son has. It's the next thing, that all too often we only appreciate something in its absence. We, we only appreciate something in its absence. This son who comes to his senses. Think about that in the terms of he finally came awake to the reality that his father's presence meant more than he ever could have understood. He comes awake to the reality that that his father had provided for him, taken care of him. And even in his father's house, as he had been a rebellious son, even the servants who served his father had a better life than he did at that moment. You know what Jesus said about you and me? In John 15, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants. I call you friends. The level of relationship that is afforded to us through the presence of God is so much greater than even that of a servant. And as Jesus kind of closes out the story, he says that the the father sees the son returning home from from a long way off. You know what that means? That means that he had been waiting on him. He'd been watching for him. He'd been longing for him to come home. And he runs out to him with his servants following in tow. And he wraps his coat around him. And he puts a ring on his finger. And he looks to his servants and he says, My son, who is dead, is now alive. My son that was dead is now alive. You see, the issue in us accepting the life that God wants us to give, living it out, is not an issue of good or bad. It's not a matrix of maybe I'll live a good life, maybe I'll live a bad life. It's an issue of life or death. And coming awake to God's presence is probably one of the most important things that we can do. It's my prayer that for us this year, that we would be reminded of the presence of God continually. That God, through his presence in our lives, would challenge us, change us, transform us. That we would, just like that son who was sitting in the midst of a a pig-filled, slop-filled stall, would wake up and come to our senses and say, this is not how I'm supposed to live. This is what happens when my father is absent from my life. And God... Well, God has invited us into a relationship where we can know him every single moment. We can live in his presence. And I have been asked in the last several weeks so many times, how do I hear God's voice? And it's such a great question. 
It's such a great question because that question comes out of this place of saying, I really want to follow God. I want to be that person that sees through faith and then steps out and lives in faith. I want to experience wonder and awe of seeing God bring something into existence that's never existed before. But I keep praying and I don't hear anything. And I have a feeling that there are a lot of us in this room that feel that way. I keep thinking and keep praying, keep asking God questions, and we just feel like God's not answering. And so what I want to do is I want to spend the remainder of our time today talking about how to hear the voice of God. I don't think that there's anything that is more important for you as a believer than learning how to hear the voice of God. First thing that I would tell you is that nothing is more vital than learning how to distinguish the voice of God. You're all crazy, okay? I hate to tell you that. You all have voices that are running through your head. Don't blame the voices for your behavior, okay? (laughs) Not the voices' fault, all right? We all have voices, and those voices are actually quite common, okay? You, You have your own voice playing in your head. You probably have your mom and your dad occasionally piping in there and telling you what to do, right? You probably have friends that their voice plays in your head. The Bible tells us that we also have an enemy who at times his voice can be heard in our head. And then there's God's voice. And it's at times tough to distinguish between those voices. So, I think one of the simplest questions to ask is, why can't I hear God's voice? I I realize that God wants to speak to me. I I, I know that God has said in Scripture that, that my children will know my voice. They will know my voice. They will hear my voice, and God loves you. And I know that many of you know that, and you've accepted that, and that's real to you. And you know that God wants to speak to you. I think the question is, Lingering in our hearts, why is God not speaking to me? And I would tell you, much like your TV or your radio, that it's often not speaking to you because you're not tuned in to Him. You're not tuned in to Him. I want to give you a few prerequisites that go to hearing the voice of God. Number one, the first prerequisite that I'm going to give you today is that we must believe that God cares about our lives' details. We must believe that God cares about the details of our lives. The Bible describes a God that knows how many hairs you have on your head. For some of you, that number is not very high. (laughs) All right? For some of you, it might be refreshing to know that God knows the real color of your hair. (laughs) God knows us that intimately. At one point, the scriptures talk about God being able to notice the birds in a field and then makes this observation, how much more important are we to him than those? God knows and cares about your life. He is fully present in your life. He he cares about the 
things that worry you, the things that you're afraid of. He cares about your kids more than you care about your kids. He cares about your financial situation. He cares about your job. God cares about every detail of your life because God loves you. And God loves you at this moment completely wholeheartedly. God will never love you any more than he does right now. You cannot do anything to impress him. You can't do anything to earn his love. God will never love you more than he loves you right now. And God will never love you less than he loves you right now. You can't do anything that is going to reject his love. As far as we run away from his love, his love is still there. He will love you in spite of your failures and faults. God loves you. And you know what's interesting about love? Love pays attention. Love pays attention. Just a few weeks, it's going to be Valentine's Day. And I'm going to help you out, guys, okay? All right. See, oftentimes as we approach Valentine's Day and Christmas, husbands have this internal panic, right? This internal panic about, I don't know what to get her. I don't even know if she wants anything. I don't want to drop $100 on roses again. It just seems like such a waste, right? You know what's interesting? You know why God knows what's good for us? Because God pays attention to us. God pays attention to us. You know why we love and are aware of what's going on? The, The way that that works in an intimate relationship like marriage is that we pay attention. So you won't have to ask the question, what does she want, if you pay attention. She'll answer it for you, I promise. All right? See, love always pays attention, and God loves you. And he pays attention to you. You are the apple of his eye. He loves you immeasurably. And God cares about the details of your life. Number two, we must believe that God wants to answer our questions. James says that if any of us lack wisdom, let us ask God who gives wisdom freely to all without finding fault. You see, oftentimes the Bible is judgmental of us when it says you do not have because you did not ask for it. How many of y'all realize that far too often prayer is the last resort for you? That's where we go when all else fails. I had a talk with my parents and got some advice. I sought counsel from my friends. I read a self-help book. None of that worked. And finally, I'm going to turn and I'm going to get on my knees and say, God, I can't figure it out. Instead of realizing that our prayers reach the heart of the God who created the world that we live in. And our attitude in that prayer matters so much. Let me give you just one bit of advice when it comes to how we pray. We have to learn to pray and submit to God's answer before he gives it. Do not seek God's counsel as if you're getting counsel from many different places. 
Like, God, I'm going to get my parents' opinion, and I'm going to read a book, and I'm going to ask you, and whichever one I like, I'm going to take it. Right? God's probably not going to be so quick to answer your prayers when he realizes that you're not going to submit to his answer. So we need to make ahead of time the decision to say, God, whatever you say, however you say it, whatever you want from me, I will submit to what you ask from me. Whatever you want me to do, God, I'll do it. And I think that that attitude of prayer is found in Habakkuk chapter 2. We're going to go there for two verses. And out of those verses, I'm going to give you a template to see how we can hear the voice of God. Now, y'all need to go ahead and thank me, all right? Because some of y'all, if we went to heaven tomorrow, there'd be this guy that would come up and say, hey, how you doing? You'd say, who are you? He'd say, I'm Habakkuk. And you'd go, who are you? And he'd say, I wrote a book that's in the Bible. You never read it. All right, so here's the thing. I'm helping you out, right? So when you get to heaven, you have read some of Habakkuk's book, all right? Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says, I will climb up into my watchtower, and I will wait. And I will look to see what the Lord will say. Then the Lord gave me this answer. Write down what I reveal to you so that you can read it at a glance. Out of those, I'm going to give you five steps to hearing the voice of God. Five steps to hearing the voice of God. The first one is that we must learn to withdraw to a lonely and isolated place. We must learn to withdraw to a lonely and isolated place. This is frequently happening in the ministry of Jesus, read through the Gospels, more than 10% of the time that Jesus' actions are recorded, he is saying, all right, I'm going away, I'm going away, I must withdraw, I must get away, I'm going to go and pray, all right? We must make that a regular part of our routine, because here's why. If we don't learn to squash the noise from the other voices, God's voice will never be very loud to us. The phrase that Habakkuk uses there, that I will go into my watchtower, that was a a common uh, kind of language to those people in his day. Today we would say something in Christianese like, I'm going to go in my prayer closet, right? That's the equivalent to what Habakkuk was saying. I'm going to go get alone. And here's, here's the thing, all right? A person that has no margin in life has no capacity to hear from God. A person that has no margin in life has no capacity to hear from God. If we're just going at a breakneck speed, listening to the needs and wants of this world, never having the time to press pause on life, we won't hear from God. Because the other voices in our life will always drown his out. So Habakkuk withdraws to a lonely place. Step number two, we must wait on the Lord. We must wait on the Lord. Here, here's the thing. Oftentimes between asking the question and receiving the answer, there's going to be a space between that. All right? That's a good and holy ground for us. All right? Oftentimes we're not ready for the answer 
when we first ask the question. We're not ready for the answer, and God has to prepare our hearts and prepare our hearts for what he's going to finally reveal to us. So we must learn to wait. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. I'm going to give you the Kevin translation for that, all right? Sit down and shut up. (laughs) Sit down and shut up. Be still. Stop running. Wait on me. And we have to allow God to work in our hearts in the silence. Step three, read the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Here's the thing about God's Word. God's will is found in God's Word. God's will is found in God's Word. If you're, let me just ask you this question. If you had a dad who was a successful billionaire entrepreneur, but he died when you were a very young child, and he wrote you a small letter that contained in it the secrets for his success, do you think you would spend time referencing that as you grew older? You probably would, right? So when we think that God, who created the universe, gave us his word, he gave us all too often the answers already to the questions that we're asking. And we neglect this. We put this on the shelf and we go and ask our friends. We put this on the shelf and we pray and we go, God, can't you just tell me? God's going, I already did. I already told you. Here's here's the truth, all right? Y'all need to get this. Some of us need to stop asking God for a voice and start searching the scriptures for a verse. God has already answered the question that you're asking. He's already answered the question often that we're asking. Think about this with me. When Habakkuk says he will wait, put that verse back up there. Look at this. In verse 1, it says, I will wait and I will look to see what you will say. Did y'all miss that earlier? I will look to see. Let me just kind of remind you, that's not how we hear, (laughs) right? We listen to see what you will say. But that's not what Habakkuk says. I will look to see. I will search to see what you will say. Isn't that good to know today? God speaks to us through his word. His will is in his word. Number four, step four. Write down the insights that you have received. Write down the insights that you have received. Is it good to journal prayers? Yes. Is it good to keep a record of what God is doing in your life? Yes, it is a great thing for you. Because number five, we need to take time to review what God has taught me. How many of y'all have ever had to have God teach you a lesson multiple times? I'm there, all right? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just learn it once? Wouldn't that be good? If we can learn, God will provide. God will save us. God will take care of us. God will heal us. If we could just learn that once, 
But when we live lives that just go, oh, thank you, God, for doing that, and we move on, we miss living in the constant reminder of his presence. You see, I believe that God wants to wake us up to his presence. He wants to gift us with the eternal gift from this moment forward of living in his presence where he guides us and leads us, encourages us, and corrects us, and where we perpetually live in his love. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you today for the awesome reminder that you are a holy and good God. God, what a profound reality to know that today, God, we can God, we can live in your presence. We can interact with you. We can know you. And God, as we uh, press pause right now in this moment, God, we realize that there are many of us that we know we need. We need the presence of God, but we have not been willing to submit to the life that you want to live through us. And so because of that, God, we've rejected your life. We've looked at your life and said, no, no, no. And I pray that right now in this moment for many of us in this room that we're looking into your heart and we're saying yes. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you this question. Have you been saying no to God when you know you need to say yes? Have you been saying no to God when you know you need to be saying yes? You've been saying, no, God, I won't do it your way. No, God, I won't live your life. No, but you know, you know that the only way you're ever going to really live is to embrace the life that God wants to live through you. If that's you and you're here right now, what I want you to do is raise your hand. I've been saying no to God, but I want to say yes. Who is that right now? Raise your hand. Hands everywhere. Who else? Who else? So God, for those people with hands up right now, we come before you. We just thank you, God, that we can say yes to you, that when we say yes, you give us a new heart. You create in us a clean and brand new and soft heart that is pliable and moldable. And God, we just ask you to take our lives and mold it. Use us. Allow us to live in your presence for your glory. It's the name of Jesus that we pray in. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.